at it this evening. We'll begin reading in verse number 14, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 14. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I want to take a few moments to look especially at verse number 15 tonight. There are three things we're going to find in this particular verse and uh, that are, I think, very, very important to us. And if you're in the, uh, used to writing your Bibles or underlining your Bibles, I'll give you a few key words that I think are important that you ought to underline and then go back and study a little bit later on when you have more time. If you're not in the habit of underlining your Bible or you use an iPad or an iPhone, uh, just make a note to yourself and look back at this at another time. But we find that Paul, writing to uh, young Timothy, we call him young Timothy, but probably more than likely Timothy was in his 40s at the time of this particular writing. And uh, Paul is writing to him as a young man in the ministry and trying to train him. In fact, Paul goes uh, real, I uh, believe, very strongly in uh, training folks for the ministry. Uh, if you'll take just a minute and look up to the first part of chapter 2, we'll find out what Paul is speaking of when he gets down here to verse number 15. In verse number, uh, chapter number 2, and verse number 1, he says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So we know that uh, Timothy can't say, well, Paul must be talking to somebody else. He points him out specifically here. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Let me just say this, the importance that there is in this day and age, in this time of our life, <clears throat> to be instilling in young people the things that we have learned in our lives about the Lord Jesus Christ. As we grow, uh, we're not to just soak it in like a sponge and then never give out what we've heard. But Paul reiterates the fact to Timothy, Timothy, don't just take what you've learned from me and use it for your own good, but take it and teach others who are able also to teach others. And if you follow the chain of events, who are able to teach others also, and who are able to teach others also. And so continually perpetuating the truth that we find in God's Word. And Paul puts a huge, huge emphasis on this training of God's workers and God's teachers and preachers. And he says in verse number 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a good so, uh, to be a soldier. And if man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. And so he's trying to train Timothy about uh, serving God, even through hardness, trying to uh, teach him not to get entangled with the affairs of this world, uh, because it will slow him down in serving God. And then he changes direction, and he uses an analogy of a husbandman. And we talked a little bit about that earlier on in the service, uh, about the husbandman. And he talks about the husbandman uh, that laboreth in verse number 6. And if you will, look at this because I think it's a very, very vital Bible principle. It says, the husbandman that laboreth. So who is he speaking to here? He's speaking primarily to those that are serving him. We're talking about a laborer. The husbandman that laboreth. The one that is out in the fields tending to the gardener, uh, reaping the harvest. The, the husbandman that laboreth. And by the way, it's God's will for all of us to be busy in His work. We know that that's what God's will is because that's what His Word tells us. 
Now, there are some areas of God's will I can't tell you about. I can't tell you what God's will, and by his will I mean his plan for your life is. I don't know that. That's between you and God. But there are certain things I know from God's word that I know to be his will. For instance, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should what? Come to repentance. So we know from that verse it is God's will that everybody come to repentance. We know it is God's will that all of us be busy in the harvest. He speaks of the labors and the harvest and waiting for the harvest. And the time is not uh, that we should be waiting, but the fields are already wide unto harvest. He tells us to lift up our eyes and look unto the fields. So we know it is God's will that we labor in the harvest. We know that from his word. And one of the things that we, we mix up many times is uh, when we say, I just don't know what God's will for my life is. Really what we mean by that is we don't know what God's plan is for our life. Because the truth of the matter is he has revealed his will in his word. And we know God's will. If we'll read it, we'll know it. And so we know what God's will is in his word. And I will tell you this, that if we never take the time to understand his will, he'll never reveal to us his plan. Because his plan will always revolve around his will. His plan will always revolve around his will. And so he teaches uh, Timothy here not to entangle himself, to be a good husbandman. And he says this in verse 6, the husbandman that laboreth must be, what are the next two words here? First, partaker of the fruits. Now, this is not speaking necessarily of financial gain or material gain for the labor. There is another area of Scripture that does deal with not muzzling the ox that treadeth out the corn, and certainly we understand that principle. This particular area, when we're talking about the, the context that this passage is written in, we understand that somebody that's going to go out and labor must be first partakers of that truth that they're going to go out and share. You've got to be saved. You've got to know the truth of the Word of God. And Paul is reiterating to Timothy, it's all about training, it's all about mentoring, it's all about teaching others and helping them be able to teach others about the truth. In verse number 8, he says, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. And so he's speaking here of the gospel that we, that we be partakers of these things, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. And so we find that the truth of the gospel is what these laborers must be well grounded in. You say, Brother Greg, how do you know that he's speaking here of being well grounded in the truth or the doctrine of the gospel. Because he spends the entire first part of this chapter dealing with laboring in the gospel. And then he gets to verse number 14 and 15. In verse number 15 he says this, Study. Study. Miss Carla, you're not there yet. School didn't end today. (laughs) Sorry to say the Lord said we still have to study. Doesn't matter if school's out. Doesn't mean you get a summer break from studying. Because as a Christian, we ought to be studying daily. We ought to be drenching ourselves in the Word of God. We ought to be nourishing ourselves on it. So he tells us here that we ought to study. Now you're going to find three things. The first thing we find in this particular verse is that we are to study. 
What are we to study? Well, if we're to take it in the context of the passage, we're to be studying the truth and the doctrines of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be well prepared to be able to give an answer of the faith that we have in us Whenever opportunity arises and we have the opportunity to share that, we ought not to bumble and stumble over it. We ought not to have to say, that's a good question, I'll go ask my pastor. We need to study to show ourselves, the Bible says, approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we find the first thing we're supposed to do is to study, right? Everybody got that? The second thing we're to do, study to, what's the next word there? Show thyself approved. Now, wait a minute. We're going to have to talk about this because a lot of times in the Christian life we say, well, doesn't the Bible say that God, a man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart? And we use that verse so many times to justify an unclean vessel. And we say, well, it doesn't really matter what we have on the outside. No, that's not what that verse said. That verse never said that God doesn't care about the outside. It just simply said that he was more concerned with what was on the inside than what was on the outside. By the way, there's a principle of Scripture that backs that up. When he was in his earthly ministry and he went to the scribes and Pharisees, he called them hypocrites. He said, you're like whited sepulchers. Outwardly you're clean, but inwardly you're full of dead men's bones. And so what Jesus is trying to combat there in this particular situation is that we don't put on some kind of outward garment of righteousness and inwardly be rotten to the core. Years ago, my dad planted a weeping willow tree in our our house down in Florida. And uh, it grew for a long while and got really big and beautiful, just a beautiful tree. And one spring, it just started shriveling away. He started putting uh, miracle grow on it. My dad used to think that with God and miracle grow, anything would grow. And uh, so he would put miracle grow on it, and he'd put water on it, and, uh, and he tried to nurse as best he could, and it just, didn't, it just didn't take. It died, and we ended up having to cut it down. And when we cut it down, the stalk was probably about 10 or so inches in diameter. And when we cut it down, we found that in the inside, in the very center of that tree, it was completely rotted out and hollow where some carpenter ants had gotten into the bark gone through into the core of that tree and actually had made houses and had eaten that center column of that tree out and had gotten into the heart. Now, from the outside, before it started withering, we would have said that is a very healthy tree. But the truth of the matter is, inwardly, there were a lot of things that were wrong with it. And so Jesus was trying to combat this particular problem in the Pharisees and the scribes. And you notice that Jesus never condemns the Pharisees or the Sadducees for what they were outwardly. You won't find it in Scripture. In fact, he commends them. He says, outwardly, you are clean. Does he not say that? He condemns them for what they were on the inside. Now, we get back to this principle of, well, the Lord knows what's on the heart, and man looks on the outward appearance. But understand this, God thinks the outside is important. He just doesn't think it's as important as the inside. Because it is possible to be something outwardly that you're not inwardly. Would you agree with me on that? The Bible teaches us that. Now, as we get to this particular passage, we find that there is a command that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is penning as he's writing these words. He's telling Timothy, Timothy, I want you to study. And then, Timothy, I want you to show. 
I want your outward example to emulate a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. I want the things that are expressed to men to show forth the righteousness of God and the doctrine of salvation. Is the outside important? Absolutely. And here's what I have found all uh, for several years now. You can be what you ought to be outwardly, and it is possible to not be what you ought to be inwardly. But it is impossible to be what you ought to be inwardly and it not show outwardly. It's impossible. Those that would say, well, I know my outside's rough, then mark it down, the inside's rotten. It cannot happen. A, a, a fountain cannot give forth both bitter and sweet water. It's going to come out as one or the other. They are to show forth some things. So we are to study, we are to show what are we supposed to show? We're supposed to show an example, a testimony of a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And then I want you to notice the third thing we're supposed to do. We are to rightly divide. Look what it says in verse number 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing. We asked our teenagers a couple weeks ago, said, uh, what does that word dividing mean? And boy, we got all kinds of answers. And uh, it's amazing how... English words have changed in the way they're used. They still have roughly the same definitions, but they changed in the way they were used from where they were back in the 1600s, 1700s in that area of time. And the word dividing here means to literally to dissect or to digest or to get, I like to say it this way, to squeeze all the juice out of it, to make sure you understand the verse, to make sure you understand the passage. I teach our teenagers, we're learning how to study the Bible in proteins. And I told them, I said, look, I can teach you Bible truths, and I will. But I said, more importantly, I want to teach you how to find Bible truths in the Word of God for yourself. And it's very, very important that we do this. And I've told them all the time that the first rule in understanding Scripture is what? Smitty, do you remember it? The first rule in interpreting Scripture, context. You know what the second rule is? Context. You know what the third rule is? Context. The first three rules of Bible interpretation. Understand the context. Let me illustrate. The Bible teaches, or it's written in Scripture, and the Scripture is inspired, right? You all agree with me on that? Amen? Every word? Every word. Okay, so everything in it is for our good. Is that correct? Okay. Here's the difficulty. If you were to read in one portion of Scripture that says Judas went and hanged himself, that's a true thing. And if you're not careful, you'll read a little bit further down, and it says, Go and do thou likewise. That would be a problem. And a little bit further down, you'll find what thou doest, do quickly. And if you don't understand the context of the passage, you could get wrong doctrine. You could think that the Bible is teaching you to go out and hang yourself quickly. Context is very, very important. That's why when we look at verse number 15, I don't take just one verse and try to pull it and say here's some truths about it. We want to look at the verses surrounding. We want to understand the setting that it's put in. And so we want to understand that we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing, rightly understanding the word of truth. Being able to understand the principles that are involved in it. 
Now let me show you something just to illustrate and we'll be done. It's 8 o'clock. If you'll give me five minutes, maybe seven, we'll be done. Turn with me back to Genesis and uh, let's go to Genesis chapter 3 for just one moment. I have a friend of mine. His name is Sam Gipp. And uh, one of the things that he, he's read the Bible through, I think, about 120 times in his lifetime, each time he does it with a specific reason, a specific purpose. And one of the things he says is he says, when you read the Bible, you ought to come to it as if it's the first time you've read it. When you read the story of David and Goliath, act like you don't know what the ending is. Sit on the edge of your chair and bite your nails while David is charging towards Goliath. What's going to happen to him? Well, we know and we yawn through it because we've read it so many times or we've heard it. And we miss truth that's there. Now look with me in Genesis chapter number, um, excuse me, did I say uh, chapter 3? I'm sorry, it's chapter 4. In verse number 4, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 4 and verse number 4, And Abel, he also brought the firstlings of his flock. Uh, let's back up to verse number 3. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And verse number four, and Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance was falling, fallen. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted, and if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Now, I want us to look at several things here about this particular story. I want to illustrate this. This is just an illustration of rightly dividing the word of truth and understanding this. When we look at this particular thing, and I've been taught over the years in Sunday school that the reason God did not like Cain's offering was because it was not a blood sacrifice. I understand the, the uh, importance of a blood sacrifice for the purpose of atonement. And the one thing we do not know here is, was this a sacrifice... For atonement. Well, when we look at the verse, I don't know that we see it as a sacrifice for atonement. Now, it may very well be. I don't know. But what we find in verse number 3, and in the process of time, uh, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground. And what's the next word? What was it? An offering. Okay. So this is an offering. Now, you understand the difference between tithes and offerings. Tithes are what uh, we uh, are under command by God to give. Offerings are an issue of the heart. They're above and beyond our tithes. Now, there are offerings and there are times and festivals in the Hebrew uh, uh, way of Old Testament uh, sacrifices and, and, and uh, festivals and feasts and things. There are offerings that are brought that are of the fruit of the ground. And they are a sweet-smelling savor unto the Lord. They're not all bloodshed sacrifices and burnt offerings. But here's something you're going to find very unique in this as we look at it. In the process of time as it came to pass, that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground. And there's going to be something missing here now when we get in this verse that we're going to see different in verse number 4. Verse number 4, the Bible says, And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. Does anybody see the difference between Cain's offering and Abel's offering? Other than one being of the ground and one being a blood sacrifice. There is something glaringly right there in front of us. The firstlings. He brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. Now notice this. We understand that more than likely this particular festival took place in the fall. Would you agree with me on this? Or this, this offering took place in the fall. Would you agree with me on this? 
On the surface, it seems that way, doesn't it? Because Cain has a harvest, does he not? When do we harvest? We harvest in the fall, okay? On the surface, we would say, okay, this happened in the fall. But now we got a problem. We get to verse number four. Abel has the firstlings of his flock. When are those born? Spring. Oh, wow, we got a problem here then. You mean to tell me that Cain harvested all the way back in the fall and waited till spring to give God an offering? Think about this for a minute and don't lose me. Verse number four, we find that Abel brings the firstling of his flocks and of the fat thereof. He gives God not only the first part of what he's been given, but also the very best of what he's been given. We see no such thing in Cain's offering, do we? Now look what the Bible says in verse number 5. And that's why I'm saying it's very, very important that we study Scripture. And the Lord had respect unto, the last part of verse number 4, and the Lord had respect unto, what's the next word there? Stop right there. It does not say at this point that God had respect unto Abel's offering. Would have been easy for him to say that, wouldn't it? Now he does say, he had respect to Abel's offering, but only because he had respect unto Abel first. You see there? Look at verse number 5. But unto Cain and his offering. The and his offering is almost an afterthought. Unto Cain and his offering, he had not respect. We find a valid Bible principle that is so important for us. The importance is this. No matter what our sacrifice is, God is more concerned with the heart. Did God reject Cain because it was just of the fruit of the ground? I've heard good men disagree on that and and preach it that way, and it may be. I don't know that. I do know that when I read the Bible carefully, it tells me that before God ever disrespected Cain's offering, And before God ever had respect unto Abel's offering, he had respect unto Abel and disrespected Cain's offering, Cain and his offering. Is it important that we understand that when we read, well, Brother Greg, that's just, you're you're, you're straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. You're trying to be too particular about the verses. No, no, we miss a vital Bible principle if we miss this. That God does care about the heart. It's not about the offering. Think about this. God doesn't need our money. You ever thought about that? God is very, very wealthy. Why in the world does he have us give an offering? Why in the world does he command us to tithe? God doesn't want our money. He wants our heart. And he knows if, we have, if he has our wallets, he has our hearts. Amen? Amen. That's the truth. The people you love, you don't care about giving your last dollar to. You'll do it in a heartbeat because you love them. If they have a need, you give it to them right away. Why? Because you love them. You find somebody you don't love, you might have $20 in your pocket and they are in a need. You say, brother, I'll be praying for you. (laughs) You know? That's about the way it happens, isn't it? Three things in the Christian life. We're to study. We're to show we're to rightly divide the word of truth. We need to understand God's word. We need to give forth a good example. And we better understand it. 
We better spend some time. By the way, Paul said it this way. Study to show thyself approved unto God. When men see your knowledge and your straining and, and studying and laboring in the word, when they see that, they ought to say God has his stamp of approval on that person. It ought to be a testimony to him. Why? Because Paul thinks it's important that we train others also. We now take that person who says, boy, God's giving you some wisdom in his word. No, no, that came through hard diligence and study. The weariness of the flesh, uh, uh, Solomon called it. And we want them to get a desire and a thirst and a hunger for God's word like that. To where they take it and they study it. They learn it well. So I want to challenge you. Let's study to show ourselves approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. It may take three or four days of reading the same small passage over and over again. And try and get all of it out of it. It may take sitting down with a dictionary. Or a concordance and finding other references that deal with that passage and that principle. And finding out what does God's word have to say. You know the Bible tells a sad story in the book of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews says I wish I could give you meat. He said some of you have been saved for an awful long time. You've been believers for a long, long time. And you ought to be teaching the meat of the word. Instead you yourselves have need of the first oracles of God. I've known Christians that have been, that have been uh, saved for a very, very long time and never grown spiritually. They've never spent time studying God's Word. Let me challenge you tonight. I, I hope we get a desire when we leave here to run home, open our Bibles up, and just delve into it. Study it. Learn it. Learn it well. And read it carefully. Don't read it carelessly. Those of us that have been saved for a period of time and not young Christians are the most vulnerable to reading God's Word callously and carelessly. We've got to be careful that we read it well and rightly divide it. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. We're thankful for what it shows us. And I pray that tonight has been a time of instruction, encouragement, edification. Lord, certainly not a time of reproof. Because I pray and I hope and pray that most all of the folks that are here on a Wednesday night already read their Bibles regularly. But Father, perhaps we just need to be reminded and perhaps we just need to uh, just be aware of the fact that many times we miss out on some of the richest blessings that you have for our lives by simply rushing into our reading time and rushing back out. But Father, may we learn to linger in your presence. May we learn to walk with you. Lord, we live in such a fast-paced society, it seems like all we ever do is run, 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 and we just don't have time. Lord, may we always, always set aside the time. And may we always make sure that we are spending that time diligently studying, studying, and studying your word. That we may be good workmen. That we can show forth the truth with boldness the truth of your gospel. And Father, that we can rightly divide and understand and know your word. Dismiss us now with your blessings, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.